Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. Taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. It's all fair game. Pretty much any money question besides the individual stock, buy, hold, or sell. And uh, sorry, I missed you all last week. Uh, I was off getting my second son off to college. And he's now all set up at his dorm in the University of Hawaii in Oahu. And a couple of things I'll say about that. First, number one, do not go to Oahu. Do not go to Waikiki. It, there's way too many people there right now. It, you know, the, the, the beaches in Waikiki just absolutely packed. We had a good time when we went to North Shore around the other side of the island. But you know, you're talking about an hour and 15 minute drive with traffic to go 20 miles. So it's, it's not a good place to vacation right now. Um, there's really, really, really hard to get reservations to go eat. And I knew that going in because we went, you know, just he and I back in early June to check out the area and make sure, hey, this is definitely where I'm going to spend the next four years. And had the issues, um, had issues with rental cars. And so as soon as I got back, I booked the next trip. And back in June, realized I couldn't get a rental car from the normal places, Hertz and Avis that I use. Uh, so I had to rent a car through Turo. That's an app that you can pretty much rent other people's cars. It's kind of like the Airbnb for cars. And it's worked out pretty good for me twice as I've gone to Hawaii. But I also ended up renting a condo because we took the rest of the family for the trip and had a kitchen to cook in. Um, so we rented that condo through Inspirato. And that was great because we could just cook at home and go right back into surfing and having fun. They did have a huge swell that while we were there. Two of the days were a little bit too big for us to, to jump out into and try because uh, it was pretty crazy. But just be aware. Hawaii, just in general, from what I've heard, is just crazy busy right now as people were locked up and now they're traveling again. And, and look, I, I, I think things are going to change real quick in Hawaii because right now, to get to Hawaii, you can either upload your VAX cards to the Safe Hawaii Travel System or you submit a COVID test within 72 hours of taking off. And now that it's proven that people that are vaccinated are still spreading the virus, they're going to probably start testing everyone or, you know, limiting the people that go to Hawaii. Um, 
or or both, or maybe even another lockdown. Their hospitals just can't handle kind of you know any more influx of patients. So just be aware of that if you have any major travel plans going on. Um, and, and that's just you know it, it's unfortunately the truth. A lot of news, obviously, today on vaccines with the Pfizer uh, vaccination being FDA approved and probably Moderna coming right around the corner. Um, so a lot of changes coming on, you know, it's just kind of being in between the states of Oregon and Washington, you go into Oregon, you have to wear a mask everywhere. Washington's kind of hit or miss with a couple of laws coming in on the 1st of September, where it's going to be masks everywhere again. Um, so anyway, travel, just, just be aware of all that kind of stuff. Um, a couple of things that I'll also say about college. If you've got a kid, you know, you know every, I've, I've seen lots of friends online that are, are posting their kids off to college photos, which I think are great. It was fun to look back a couple of years ago when I did it with my first one, um, which, which you know, kind of gave us a way to prepare for it. Because if you're going to a college in a large city, it's easy to go shopping, get there a few days early, just go shop for everything you need. When I went to Lubbock, Texas with my oldest, Nick, um, the stores were set up almost like an Ikea where you walk through this maze and it had bins on every side that had all of the twin XL sheets you needed for the dorm, all of the you know, bathroom caddies and, and all the other things that you need where in Hawaii, it wasn't really like that. So we had to fill our carts online with Target, Walmart, and Best Buy for with all the stuff that we need, kind of time our submission for it so that we knew that most of the places had three to four days to make sure that before you could get it when you showed up at the stores. So we had to time when we submitted and paid for everything. And when you do that, there was a lot of things that Target, for example, that just didn't show up and got taken out of the order and that we still kind of had to look around for. And I would say, so it's going to a place like Hawaii is much harder to kind of get everything dialed in. Like I still don't have a mattress topper for my son's dorm room mattress, which, hey, look, University of Hawaii sounds great, right? You're going to school in Hawaii. You can surf every day if you want to between classes or after class. At the beach, you know, you can go hiking. It's it's really great. Well, it's not the most beautiful campus I've ever seen. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so the dorm, we thought he was getting into a newer dorm, and he's one of the older ones, and it is. It was not pretty, but it's good for character, right? Um, it, it also, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions not only from friends and clients, but you know, what education related expenses qualify? for taking money out of a 529 plan. So a 529 plan is you put money into the account. It's usually invested in index funds if you're using, you know, the California, Utah, Nevada, Alaska plans. Alaska plan T Rowe Price has actively managed, but um the, the money grows tax free and as long as it's taken out for college. Um and, and there's other ones that apply. Like you can now do some post-secondary some primary education as well. So like some private high school. Um, you can, there's other types of school like culinary and, and other things that work for it. But what qualifies? Cause I had a, a client say, Hey, can, can I buy a cell phone, a new cell phone for my daughter out of the 529 plan? She needs a new phone. She's going off to college. She's going to have to use it. Does it qualify? And when you first read it, 
you know, can I pull money out of my 529 plan for educational costs after high school? And this tuition, books, room, and board. But you could also do a couple of other things like computers or peripheral equipment, software, and the cost of internet access used primarily by the designated beneficiary while enrolled in a post-secondary education. So my first thought was like, man, gosh, I don't think a kid can really get through college without a cell phone anymore. But as I look through some of the other options in it, it's not really necessarily a qualified expense because we all use cell phones already in everyday life. Um, so the answer to that one, I would say no. So it's tuition, books, room, and board. So, but there's some fees as well um, that can qualify. The big catch that I'm seeing a lot of, especially in the second year when you're out of the dorm, is students living off campus. So people will get like a really nice apartment thing they can pull out a bunch of rent money out of the 529 plan without paying taxes on it. And for students living off campus, rent, utilities, and food not purchased directly from the college or university may qualify if those expenses do not exceed the allowance for room and board as included in that institution's cost of attendance. So especially for those of you that have kids in an apartment off campus that's more expensive than maybe what other kids are paying, you're not going to be able to pull all of the money out of 529 plan tax-free. You, you have to go online or call the college and say, what's allowable for room and board? Keep that in mind. Um, <clears throat> expenses for fees, books, supplies, and equipment required for participation in a designated beneficiary's uh, registered and certificate apprenticeship programs can work. Um, and, you know, you can also now pull up up to 10 grand for loans, right? For to pay off educational loans for that student. I would maybe use that as the last thing to do because, you know, if there's any law changes on this in terms of student debt forgiveness, you don't want to. Be like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have paid that off. I could have got free money. So do some real planning and get some advice on that. Talking a little bit more about these 529 plans, right? This is where you can put money in the 529 plan. It grows tax-free in mutual funds. Um, it grow, or grows tax-deferred. And as long as the withdrawals are qualified, you don't pay any taxes on any of the growth ever. And... So here's some of the things that are qualified when it comes to withdrawals. There's tuition, books, room, and board. And I already mentioned that room and board has to qualify for the amount of that institution. So if your kid's going to go to San Diego State and they're going to stay off campus, but you're kind of getting them a nicer apartment than most college kids have, you got to check with San Diego State to say, what's your room and board uh, costs and realize that you know, you, you don't want to withdraw. You, you might not be pulling the entire amount of the 529 plan. It might be a split of 529 plan funding and then your own personal cash flow. So qualified withdrawals that you can pull money out tax-free from a 529 plan, enrollment fees, tuition, certain room and board, like I mentioned, certain rent, food, and utility bills for off-campus, like I mentioned. Um, K through 12 tuition is now eligible at 10000 per year from the 529 plan. That's something new. Uh, special needs expenses, computer, software, internet access, uh, fees, books, supplies, and equipment for participation in registered and cert- certified apprenticeship program. So some of the things that aren't eligible, let's just talk about that, first of all. Travel expenses. 
right? You're like, well, I can't get to college unless I buy a plane ticket and go back. And so people ask, hey, I'm buying my plane tickets for my kid for the year. I want to get them back for Thanksgiving. I want to get them back for Christmas, all their holidays, things like that. It's, It's not covered. Expenses such as gas, parking, and airfare are considered non-qualified expenses. Also, pre-enrollment expenses like test prep, courses, not eligible. Uh, Health insurance isn't even eligible, even if purchased through the school, right? So it's tuition, books, room, and board, and a couple of the other things. Cost of extracurricular activities from ballet lessons to membership dues at sorority and fraternity are not eligible. So I get those questions quite a bit as well. All right, so <laughs> moving on. What, you know, what, why do we send our kids to college? We hope that they get in and get out as soon as possible and they move on to a well-paying job. And now what is a well-paying job? Um, the way the millennials look at it is kind of like, well, flex schedule, lots of travel time. I want to love what I do instead of work and then be able to use the money to do what I love is kind of what most people grew up thinking. Um, And we're starting to see a lot of wage inflation. I mean, we've heard bank after bank talk about 5 to 8% increases in pay for even junior bankers. We're dealing with it in our industry. Big wage inflation for certified financial planners, for CPAs and enrolled agents on the tax side. I'm seeing wage inflation all over the place. Schwab hiked their employee pay by 5% delays their return to offices. So look, we're, we're dealing with a couple of issues here, right? First of all, of course, what happened, we get a little bit of a sell-off while I'm gone, but then that turns around and we're, we're now sitting as of today on uh, the 23rd as I record this show, the all-time high in the S&P 500 up a little over 19% for the year. Yet we're seeing wage inflation. We're absolutely seeing wage inflation. We face other potential shutdown issues. I think we're smart enough now not to go into a full shutdown like ha- what happened last time. But you know, it's gonna it's gonna hit some travel and leisure issues because you know the whole testing thing is a little bit silly, right? And even even in my own case, I will admit. I mean, look, I'm it, testing for Hawaii. 72 hours before I leave for COVID. In the meantime, my kid is visiting all sorts of different people, saying their goodbyes, having graduation parties or, or you know, end of summer parties where they're all getting together with their friends from high school for the last four years. And everybody's talking about old times and, and crying as they see each other go away. And they're around a lot of people. So they could have done something and brought it back to me and I could still be carrying it vaccinated or not, and jump on a plane and take it across the country. Vaccinated people are still spreading the virus, plain and simple. And so I think that they're going to really have to say, okay, how do we test people very quickly before they go? Because 72 hours, is, is that's a lot can happen in three days. And even returning home from travel... Uh, you know, if you have any international travel at all, really, if you want to get back into the US, you have to have a negative COVID test no more than three days before travel or documentation or recovery from COVID 19 in the past three months before they can board a flight to the United States. If you're traveling, think about how much you can do in three days. You could hit 
three bars a day. You could go to a rave. You, I don't know what you want to do. You could go to a concert. Uh, you can pick it up off a escalator by putting your hand on those gross black things that you know you're always telling your kids not to touch. Travel is going to change, right? It's. I think we're 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 going to see a lot of changes in the coming months. So I'm really kind of nervous for the travel leisure restaurant industry again. And the restaurant industry is already facing food issues. You know, um, so it's it's tough to own a restaurant. I feel any but bad for anybody that does, because all of a sudden you're you're booming, your business is booming again, and then you're potentially facing another shutdown. And if you didn't pretty much switch and make most of your money from orders from DoorDash or pickup, you're kind of hurting, and it's very very scary for sure. But we've got this potential shutdown. We've got wage inflation. We've got the Federal Reserve kind of hinting that they're going to get out of at some point. It seems like it's delayed after today. There was another, you know, there's Fed meeting. We've got the Jackson Hole Symposium that's now virtual. There'll be a lot of talk about this in the coming days. But if the economy is continuing to push forward on this, interest rates have to go up. So you got higher costs across the board between goods and services going up with inflation, wage inflation directly hitting the company's bottom line. It's a pretty decent time to rebalance, in my opinion. Look at where you've got the gains. But on the same time, it's like you see any 10% corrections or more that we haven't had in forever, you still like stocks better than bonds. So you got to look at some of the buying opportunities that might come your way if there is a pullback. Inflation on top of low rates is very scary for retirees, guys. Just think about it. You're earning at most a half a percent on your money market accounts at Ally or Capital One 360. You're earning like, you know, 0.7 to 1% on two to five year CDs. Bond funds are yielding around 2.5% if they have any kind of security to them. And now we're starting to see inflation. And Social Security has been horrible. I'm going to talk about an article by Jacqueline Sargent um, that she talked about COLA's average 3% on Social Security payments to retirees from 1999 to 2009, but it's drastically dropped since then. But we might see a big boost but it's not going to keep up with the inflation that we're seeing. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. And one of the things that you have to deal with in retirement is, you know, how long your money is going to last depends on your age, how you're invested, and what happens with inflation. We go through periods of low inflation and high inflation. And people think of their retirement almost too linear. Now, you've got to have your withdrawals increasing from your retirement accounts if you want to keep up with the cost of living. Social Security has a cost of living. That that term is COLA, C-O-L-A, cost of living. And it's average. The, the Social Security COLA has averaged 3% from 1999 to 2009. And since the end of the Great Recession, COLAs have only averaged 1.4%. So on one hand, we have much lower interest rates now and much lower income on our bonds and CDs, but we've gone through a, very, a period of very low inflation. There was three years where 
COLA was zero for Social Security so far, 2010, 2011, and 2016. And I remember one of those years when they said, oh, there's no COLA this year on Social Security payments, but the cost of Medicare Part B went up. And it was very, hey, government, you're talking both sides of your mouth. Now, if we look at this based on the CPI, the Consumer Price Index for July, um, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics puts it out. It showed that the CPI index rose a half a percent from June and 5.4% from a year ago. So now all of a sudden we're getting these estimates of up to a 6% increase in Social Security payments. I'd be very surprised if that goes through. But you got another bigger problem here. As Social Security sits right now with estimates of the normal cost of living increases, the Social Security uh, trust fund is projected to take in less money than it pays out in the year 2034 already. And by law, payments will have to be cut if Congress doesn't act. And that tells me taxes are going up, plain and simple. Or benefits are going to be cut or delayed, whatever it may be. Social Security is going to change. We keep getting all these crazy laws passed and complications of the current tax code and everything else, but they don't fix the problems of the aging population, of homeless, of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all these different issues. And Jacqueline Sargent in, uh, in I believe this is, was uh, a financial advisor magazine or think advisors. I think she's with financial advisor magazine, but anyway, they gave some examples of this. Um, study looked at wide sampling of costs of goods and services that are typically purchased by most Social Security recipients. Mm-hmm. So from two th- the year 2000 to 2021, prescription drug out-of-pocket costs jumped 272%. Now, a 100% increase would be normal. Every 18 to 20 years, the value of a dollar is cut in half. So every 18 to 20 years, if you look at a price of anything, it should double or go up by 100% every 18 to 20 years. right? But in this case, prescription drugs up 272%. Medicare Part B premiums rose 226%. All right? Homeowners insurance rose 178%. Home heating oil increased 150%. And you get more into normal food costs, 10-pound bag of potato increased 134%. That's still a little higher than normal. Ground of chuck increased, you know, ground meat, 127%. So that's, that's a little bit normal. Now, what has to happen is a lot of people are pushing a change to the consumer price index for the elderly, a CPI-E. There's a lots of different CPI indexes. There's a CPIU, CPIE. And this one is more related to, hey, if we're going to have these aging population benefits like Medicare and Social Security, things like that, we need to use a CPIE. Because look, when you're 80, you're not traveling as much. You're not driving as much. You're not even eating as much. And um, But your prescription drugs are going way up. You're still heating your home. You're going to the doctor more often. So it's a better index to use. So how do we go into retirement and and you have to realize that over time, your annual amount that you need between your social security, your pension, your rental income, your, your dividends and interest from your stocks and bonds, it's going to need to go up by about anywhere from 2 to 3% a year. So how do you do that? Well, 
It's one reason why I like dividend achiever stocks. There's a lots of ETFs out there that they look at the S&P 500. They find the stocks that have a history of increasing their dividend, usually by at least 10% over a five-year period. Uh, certain indexes will also screen for dividend payout ratios, free cash flow, other things like that. You're also seeing a lot of companies that have these types of funds turn those mutual funds into ETFs, exchange-traded funds, which are more tax-efficient. So when I retire, currently my plan is I, I own very, very little bonds. I own a tiny sprinkling of bonds as a 46-year-old, my 401k. Tiny sprinkling. And it's only there so that if the market dips, I have something to sell and buy more stocks of. But right now, I am accumulating a lot of dividend achievers. I still own you know, my small cap, mid cap international emerging markets. But I'll start to wait more as I get closer to retirement to buy more and more dividend achievers um, because they pay dividends. And even in 2008 and 2009, when the stock market was down, way, way, way down, dividends were up in many of the cases. And those funds will typically sell a stock if they cut their dividend. And so that, that's important to realize is having dividend achievers, stocks that pay dividends, usually they're one and a half to 2% range, somewhere in there, but they go up every year in most cases. Now, in tough times, they might not go up, but on average, you'll see a 10% increase in what they're paying to their shareholders. And those dividends come to you in good markets or bad markets unless they suspend the dividend. Now, there's some good companies that suspended their dividend during the COVID issue just, just because they wanted to shore up cash in case it got really, really bad. But if a company's moving along and they cut a dividend, that's usually a really, really bad sign. Like you look at some of these companies that are yielding four, five, six percent, and they are literally borrowing money to pay that dividend. Just look at some of the telecoms out there. You know, it's, it's financially, it's not a good idea for them to be paying out five percent plus. The other way to do it is having rental income where you're increasing the rents. Now, this is getting hard to do for a lot of people in the Bay Area where they haven't been able to increase rents because of certain laws and things like that. And if that's the case, you might need to sell it. You might need to sell that property, do a 1031 exchange into something where you know that you write into the agreement, I'm increasing your rent by 2%, 3% a year. So I've got 3% per year in each of my rental properties. That I know whatever I'm getting now each year, that bill's going up to that rental person, to that leasee in the case of the commercial or renter in the case of the rental, you know, residential property. They're they're paying more. They know they're paying more from the get-go every year. It's gonna go up. The problem is, is that I see a lot of people, their rental properties, they, they really have to look at it and say, what are you truly getting in net income? Even if your rent's going up all the time, maybe you're building such a pile of garbage, your maintenance costs and your repairs are going up so much, it's just eating into your net income. And then you get to the point of retirement, like, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. And you can 1031 exchange into other options that are out there where you can kick back and just take the income on a building that's leased out to companies like you know FedEx and Home Depot and Taco Bell and places like that. So there's, there's those 1031 options that are out there. But those are two of the best ways I mean, stocks are the number one way to fight inflation and get a cost of living increase because you have growth in the share price. And in many cases, you have growth in the dividend that's being paid out. And then you have rental income. 
and you're supposed to be increasing your rents to your people that are renting from you. If you're not, you're being too much of a softy. And if you're starting to feel a crunch on your lifestyle because you've been too nice, then it, maybe it's not. It's time to not be so nice. Um, that's one way to do it. Not, but that's with the more aggressive parts of your portfolio, right? Stocks can be volatile. That doesn't bother me at all because I don't need the money. Anything that I have invested in stocks, I know I don't, I don't need it for the next three to five years. And so I don't care if there's a big correction, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40%. I'll just buy more. Right. So I, I'm not scared of the volatility. Some people are. Rental income can be a big pain in the butt for a lot of people. I'm finding more and more people that are trying to exit their actively managed rental properties. They're tired of it. They're tired of dealing with bad renters. They're tired of dealing with the COVID, no pay issues. I've got one client that this guy, <laughs> he's, he's trying, he's selling the property because he's got this guy that stopped paying rent because of COVID, was still fully employed, moved overseas, and has since renting the property out to somebody else and taking the money from them. And my client isn't getting any money right now. And the only way to get people out technically is for him to sell the property. He's done. He wants out. So we're looking for 1031 exchange options for him. So, so keep that in mind. You can go through nightmares. It's not something you want to really start late in life. You want to be very careful what you buy because real estate's very, very expensive versus the income that you can get out of it right now. And we're kind of at this teetering point right now. Um, but what about your safer piece? What about you know what you would typically put in CDs and bonds? That's the toughest part right now. That's where you can look at some no-load annuities that have a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal base that can go up at say five and a half per year percent per year and a certain amount of income at age 60, 65. Once you start the income, there's not really adjustment for inflation unless the market does really well, but at least it can't go down when the market goes bad. And then of course, having some commodities and or tips, not right now necessarily, but treasury inflation protected securities as part of a portfolio, all can be a decent idea depending on your situation. Okay. So in certain states like now California, Oregon, other states that have state income tax, uh, I want to remind you of what the SALT limitation was. So SALT stands for state and local tax. And in 2017, under that tax cut from Trump, it was the, the state and local income tax deduction on the Schedule A was limited to 10 grand. And the argument is, is that, okay, if you live in Oregon or you live in California and you're paying state income taxes and you're paying high property taxes, and you're deducting that against your federal return, the federal government is subsidizing those states. So that's why it, it was implemented and put in place. So if you're in Oregon or California, and let's say you're making enough money to pay you know, 25 grand in state income taxes, and you're paying 15 grand in your property taxes, when you itemize your deductions, you're only able to claim 10,000 of those numbers. That's it. It's maxed out at 10 grand now. And so it increased the federal tax for a lot of people out there. Now, in many cases, if you're a really high income earner, you weren't getting that deduction anyways because of AMT tax, but that's another subject. The main issue here is that there's now some workarounds, mostly for business owners. So it's going to get a lot of other people up in arms. But taxes for business owners just got more complicated, but potentially better. So I want to bring to your attention that the potential tax benefit that may apply to 
business owners in California and like Oregon's got something and most of the states have this workaround going on. But Gavin and Newsom signed this, this on uh, Bill 150 on July 16th and hadn't really talked about it yet. But AB 150, that's the bill, provides a workaround for the $10,000 state and local tax deduction limitation that's in effect as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that Trump put into place. AB 150 allows qualified pass-through entities to elect to pay and deduct a pass-through entity tax of 9.3% on qualified net income. This elective entity tax uh, level tax. So let me rephrase this is because this gets confusing. It's tough to do on radio, but I'm trying to point it out to the business owners out there. This elective entity level tax is deductible by the entity for federal tax purposes. And owners of the entity would then be eligible for a credit against their individual California income tax equal to the elective tax paid by the entity. Okay. So you're paying it more on the entity level, but getting it back on the individual California income tax level. So that may make sense to do this for business owners of a qualified pastor entity. That's an S corp or a partnership and individuals in the 9.3% or higher marginal tax bracket in California. Um, it, let's see. Please note this. It, this doesn't apply to Schedule C business owners. So keep that in mind. Sole proprietors may want to consider forming an S-Corp or a partnership to benefit from AB150. This is the biggest one out there. Because you, there's kind of these sweet spots where it doesn't matter tax-wise too much. If you flip from just a sole proprietor or a, a, an LLC filing a Schedule C you know, with your tax return, there's not a lot of tax benefits until you get to a certain level. But in this case, people that are Schedule C business owners may want to flip over to an S-Corp in order to get this done. Now, eligible pass-through entities also include individuals, trusts, the state, and corporations. So this is... This is I mean, I'm really interested to see how CPAs are going to be adjusting about this. So if you're a sole proprietor or you're a business owner, you need to talk to your CPA about this. What, it was, what is the plan for this? Are you paying an elective rate or effective rate of 9.3% or above to California? If so... Might we want to pay some of that tax for your corporation so you can get a credit on your your personal or deduction on your personal California return? So congratulations, government. You just made taxes even more and more complicated, which gets me back to my son's statement as he graduated from Texas Tech. And I'm like, okay, what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know yet. He's going to probably go into law school because he's like, you know what? Being a CFP is great, but a lot of the things that we have to do and all the things that we sound so smart about to help people get through this maze of tax issues that are out there, it's all because of an overcomplicated government tax system. So I could see him going, getting, going into law, eventually going into politics to change and simplify some of this stuff. Because <laughs> there's a lot of things that need to be improved and simplified. Everything from, hey, I'm 65, which Medicare supplement plan do I get? That's a pain in the butt. Oh, why do I pay more for Medicare than my neighbor? It's the same coverage and I'm paying $300, $400 a month more. Why is that? Uh, it's, just, it's just too complicated. And tomorrow, on tomorrow's show, tomorrow's podcast, I'll talk even a little bit more about IRAs because Ed Slot, he's a CPA and he seems to be getting a ton of media lately 
Um, I've had clients talk about, um, you know, they saw him, I think typically they see him on PBS and he's a, he's a CPA that's like, Hey, you should pull money out of your, uh, if you, you're leaving your money to your IRA, your I, if you're leaving IRA to your kids, then pulling the money out and buying life insurance might be a better idea. That's kind of one of his, that's one of his things that he talks about. That's not everything that may not be a good idea anyway, but he's like, no longer to de- delay pulling money from your IRAs if you're going to be at the same tax bracket forever. So I'll talk a little bit more about on tomorrow's show, what's better, a Roth IRA versus a regular IRA, a Roth 401k versus a regular 401k, how to do IRA to Roth conversions. When should you think about it? I'll give you a little hint. If you get a 50... Typically, we're looking at, for people that are retired, we're looking in November, how much money should we convert from an IRA to a Roth? Or if we ever have a 15% or more market correction, that's a great time. Just pull money from an IRA, throw it into a Roth, leave it invested, and wait for the run-up that ends up happening tax-free. Pay the taxes now and let it grow tax-free for the rest of your life and for 10 years after that to your kids. Lot change with the Secure Act. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. We have a team of certified financial planner practitioners to help with retirement planning, estate planning, investing, taxes, insurance, all of it. We are fee-only fiduciary, no commission, just good, solid, direct advice. Find me at chadburton.com. Find the podcast there. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, iTunes. It's all there. Have a great day, everyone. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.